Well, it's Tuesday. Good to be back with you again, Mona. Likewise, Charlie. Good to see you. Well, I don't want to start off on a, on a real downer note, but, you know, like you, I'm watching these these headlines of Volodymyr Zelensky being in Washington, D.C., and the odds being that he's going to leave town completely empty-handed because our politics is so effed up. Yeah. So I guess the question, what does the world look like if America abandons Ukraine now? Yeah. What does it look like? I mean, going, it feels like one of those real tears in the, in the space-time continuum where we look back on this and go, and that was that was the time when America basically backed away from all of its commitments. It'll come a couple of years after we abandoned Afghanistan, and now we're going to abandon Ukraine. If we abandon Ukraine, isn't that basically a down payment on abandoning NATO? And then what the hell? You know, back in the Clinton administration, I think both you and I were highly critical of Clinton and his policies. But in hindsight, you know, it is amazing how much continuity there actually was in terms of foreign policy, for example. So it was the Clinton Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, who said that the U.S. is the indispensable nation. And what we're seeing now is, look, the Europeans have stepped up quite admirably, in the wake of the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, They've done more than they've ever done before. And yet, we have still borne the lion's share of the burden. And we have been the most stalwart defender of Ukraine and supplier of hardware and all the rest of it and support. And by the way, one of the things that's been revealed by this crisis is just how weak and inadequate our whole defense industrial base is. But that's another topic. Renata stuff. Yeah. But we are still the indispensable nation. I mean, as you point out. We still are. That's exactly right. We still are the indispensable nation. And if you care about a world where somebody comes to the aid of a nation that has been raped by a neighbor, or if you care about a world in which the threat of American support for a small nation like Taiwan, you know, the threat that America will come to Taiwan's aid is enough to keep Taiwan safe. If you care about that kind of a world, you have to care about American leadership. And you know, we were all saying, God, you know, if God forbid Trump were reelected, that would spell the end for Ukraine because he would immediately surrender to Russia or force Ukraine to do so, that is. But it looks like that may be happening even before Trump is reelected, God forbid, with the failure of the Republicans on, on the Hill. And I, I know you must feel this way too, Charlie. Every time I reflect on you know, the complete inversion of the political parties vis-a-vis America's role in the world. It just, it still feels surreal to me that all of these Democrats are, you know, forthright supporters of arming and defending Ukraine and the Republicans are saying, come home America, the the George McGovern uh, slogan from 1972. And there've been so many of these inversions of, of things that have just been turned completely on their heads. But, but this is, I think, probably the most dramatic. I mean, there's still a a fringe of the left wing in the, in the, you know, horseshoe politics that, you know, hates Ukraine as much as uh, some folks on the, on the right. But what a message this sends to Vladimir Putin, what a message this sends to the Chinese, to Taiwan, that this country cannot be relied on, that our guarantees don't mean anything. 
this changes the global picture. And it's hard to imagine how, and I understand that the, the isolationists believe that somehow Fortress America, making America great again, but in the modern world, how America's withdrawal from all of its obligations and the role that it plays is in fact going to make the world safer for us. You know, I don't know what Zelensky is saying behind closed doors today on the Hill, but if I were his speechwriter, I would be saying, look, Republicans, I understand that your base is restive. I understand that you have doubts about your world role, but consider who wins if we lose, okay? Who wins? Russia wins. China wins. You say so much about how much you want to counter China on the world stage. Well, China, this will be a huge victory for China. Iran, which has been an ally of Russia in all of this and has been supplying Russia with its drones for the war in Ukraine. Iran is a huge winner. If Iran's a winner, Hezbollah's a winner, Hamas is a winner, you know, the Houthis are a winner. Every anti-democratic, anti-liberal movement around the world will take heart and say, you see the, the Democrats, the, the liberals, the free people of the world are feckless. They are, you know, summer soldiers. Uh, when, it go, when the going gets tough, they fold. And you see, we're tough, we authoritarians. We can wait you out. And Russia, you know, would look pretty grim for them for a while there, but they thought, nah, you know, just wait. The democracies, they, they don't have staying power. They're going to fold. This is the tragedy of this particular moment. And I, I guess up until mm -hmm. this week, I just didn't think that the Republicans would push it this far. And of course, this is all tied up with... Uh, the border negotiations and uh, on, on the daily podcast, I talked with David Frum about it. I, his take is that the Republicans really are not negotiating in good faith at all, that there is no deal out there, that in fact, what they're angling for is just an excuse to be able to cut off Ukraine so that it doesn't matter whether Joe Biden agrees to everything that they're asking for or caves in completely. They just don't want a deal. Yeah. I mean, I have to confess that last week when we did uh, Thursday Night Bulwark, JBL and Will and I were talking about this. And I think JBL and I were making the case, well, Biden really should cave on, on the immigration because, first of all, it's a huge liability for him going into 2024, the perception that he's weak on border security. It pulls horribly for him. And so he needs to pivot on that issue anyway. And he can then say, well, you know, this was part of a negotiation. It was important. And so I was willing to give a little and Republicans were willing to give a little for Ukraine. And, and we came to an agreement. But what I didn't factor in is that for Republicans, it seems like, as David says, that they're, they're not negotiating in good faith because a deal wouldn't be in their interest. Uh, David says in a piece in The Atlantic today, you know, suppose the Republicans did get everything they wanted and, and, and that Biden agreed, you know, to change, for example, an overhaul of the asylum system, which does need to happen, by the way, not necessarily exactly the way the Republicans are doing it, but it does need to happen. But let's say it did happen. And and then, you know, the, the flow of illegals coming across the border or the flow of asylum seekers, let's call them, they're not really illegal because they're following our law. But, you know, the flow of asylum seekers slows down to a trickle. That's not good for the Republicans running in 2024. So they don't actually want a deal. 
And that does put us in the position where Biden's only gambit is to say, I was willing to compromise, but the Republicans wouldn't accept it. And that requires being a good communicator. And that's one thing that Biden isn't very good at. No. And, you know, I, I think you, you and I have talked in the past about, you know, the speech Joe Biden needs to give about X or the speech he needs to yeah. give about Y. And the reality is, is that it doesn't matter because it's just, you know, for, first of all, I'm not sure that speeches change the trajectory of politics at, at all anymore. And he's no Barack Obama. No. He's not. And so, okay, so where are you at? I know that you've had... Um, we all are wrestling with this question, right? I mean, about Joe Biden, about Joe Biden's age, et cetera. The polls are just stubbornly awful. And they feel as if Americans have just looked at Joe Biden and they're said, okay, we just don't care. It's just, we're done with him. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Is that there's a certain unstuckability here or, or stuckability that it's nothing that he could say or, or no series of developments is, is going to change this view. I mean, I still think that, you know, next year is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump, that they, you know, that ought to overshadow everything. But, you know, we are late in this process and every single Monday, it seems we wake up and we get another series of polls, which raise the question, are we really going to do this with Joe Biden again? Now, my problem is I can make the case for why Joe Biden should take the gold watch and step down, except I cannot figure out the plan B. I just do not have any confidence that the alternative would be any better. But I also understand the people who say, you know, you guys are sleepwalking into all of this. You know, you're pretending that this is some something different than, in fact, what it is. To listen to the rest of this episode of Just Between Us, become a Bulwark Plus member today. 